Even an anchor from CNN couldn't twist this, right? <laughs> this leaves no room for debate. This is not a figure of speech or, or an example of the father being poetic. If this passage is corrupt, give me the manuscript evidence that shows what it used to say and when it was changed. What is your source, right? <laughs> the father makes the greatest claim in respect to the son. You're tuned into that deity though Let the assembly know We worship God in the flesh His name is Jesus you know Oh we can open the word This is the truth we can show Planting a seed in your brain Trust in a prayer for the grow The son of God is the most high When that don't fly They come at my neck like a bow tie <laughs> From the throne to the manger The mystery of God sent himself as the savior Welcome to episode three of That Deity Though, an apologetics podcast focused on the deity of Christ and the Trinity. I'm your lone host, E.C. Holmes, a.k.a. Yes, that's my real name. I hope you're ready to dig into the text today. Um, this will not be an overview. Uh, today, we're going to dive into the person and the work of Christ and specifically through the lens of the Father. All right. But before we do that, I do want to share a few thoughts on a conversation that I played uh, with the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you listen to episode two, you know what I'm talking about. Um, we're going to look at another misconception also, one in particular that causes us to get into a defensive mode as we attempt to defend the things that we believe. But first, um, I have an announcement to make. Um, and that announcement is the podcast, That Deity Though, is now officially a part of the Bar Network. Uh, so what that means is I've partnered with Dwayne Atkinson and his team. Um, really, they've helped me already so much just getting the podcast together and, and getting it off the ground. So before I even recorded this first episode uh, of, of a month ago, I guess now, they were already um, behind me. They already had my back. And so it was really an organic partnership. I'm really looking forward to continuing to build with them. Honestly, the best part about it is we just have one goal, really. And that's not to be bigger than the next man. Uh, we're not trying to be bigger are greater than the next podcast our one goal is to spread the message of christ right salvation in christ alone throughout the world and podcasting is one of many ways that we can do that um so make sure you check out the bar facebook page as well um, another thing that I do want to mention is that we now have merch uh, for anyone interested in promoting the podcast. Um, of course, the best way you can do that is by praying for us, right? And, and also sharing these episodes with your friends, right? The next best thing that you can do to help spread the word about the podcast is to go ahead and purchase yourself a t-shirt, um, get yourself a mug. The water tastes better in here some, for some reason. And so if you would like to do that, you can do that by emailing us at that deity, though, at gmail.com or inboxing us on social media for details. Um, you can also leave a review on iTunes that really helps us to become more visible. And so when people are searching for a good podcast, they will find ours. It also encourages encourages others um, and it lets them know what they can expect when they tune in. And so after you leave your five star review, just do me a favor and go ahead and copy it and paste it onto our Facebook page because you can leave reviews there as well. Um, during the last episode, if you were tuning in, um, I mentioned that I will be on the Basement podcast um, and I was. So make sure you go ahead and check that out. It's episode 43. If you would like to know how 
or why, if you would like to know why it's important to know about the deity of Christ and how that should impact our lives, or if you just need a bunch of verses that affirm the deity of Christ so you can share it with others that you know, go and check out the basement, um, the basement group page on Facebook and you can join in the conversation there. This is part two of a three episode series. So if you missed episode two, you might want to pause this. Just go back, listen to episode two, just to get yourself some context before coming back to this episode. I want to explore two things. Um, One is going to be one of the claims that I made um, during the conversation. The second thing that I would like to consider is a claim that the ladies made as well. I think it's important for us to not be afraid to to investigate right (laughs) opposing ideas if we have the truth there's nothing to be afraid of right even if we don't know the answers or if we don't know how to respond our next step should always be to prayerfully do our research and after we do our research we are to align ourselves with the truth and that's no matter where the truth leads us to um now a few thoughts on the conversation People are going to draw their own conclusions, which is fine. That's why I released it completely unedited. So you can walk away and, and, and you can have your own views on it. Um, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to share a few positive things um, that I learned. And then also want to um, or that I, a few positive things about the conversation. And then I also want to share some things that I learned um, after listening to it a few times. And so first, some positive things. Um, one, it was a very respectful conversation on both sides, I believe. Um, there wasn't any yelling or name calling of course it was passionate as it should be at times but it was very respectful um and like i mentioned during episode two arguing isn't exclusively a negative or a divisive thing so i hope that i modeled that in this conversation i have no doubt that the ladies did (laughs) even when i i I tried to hold them down and not let them run from one verse to another like no we have to deal with this verse first and then we'll get to the other verses um they really didn't even get frustrated when i did that on the other hand um, when they cont- they kept mes- misrepresenting the views uh, that that I put forth as far as the Trinity goes and the Christian view behind Christ, when they kept misrepresenting that, I did get a little frustrated, um, wh- which happens in conversations. But really, I tried to correct them without being condescending or arrogant. So I hope I did that in a way that showed kindness and gentleness towards them, as we should, as we contend for the faith. Right. Um, another thing that I want to point out. This would be the last thing um, that Christ was proclaimed. And as Paul says in Philippians chapter one, and in that I rejoice, it's it's such a privilege that we live in a country where we can openly share the gospel to anyone, right? Whether that's on our front porch or in the public square. This is what I took away that I'm extremely proud of. By the grace of God, I've come a long way in my ability to graciously disagree with others. Now, I definitely haven't arrived, but this conversation would have gone a lot different just a couple years ago. I promise. <laughs> now, this is this is so encouraging because if God has been and is still patient with me, I know he is patient with those who have yet to bow their knee to him. So no matter how frustrating evangelism can be at times, he is able to save the most depraved of sinners and when i say that i'm talking about myself as well i was just as depraved as anyone else this ought to humble us right it it serves to remind us that it is god who saves right this reality that salvation is of the lord will keep us and it will it will keep us and it will help us to be patient and gracious as we contend for the faith this will remind us to not lean on, on our own ability and cause us to trust in the lord now with that being said Um, I didn't take anything negative away necessarily. Um, However, I did learn 
something that will help me in the future. Um, I hope this will help you as well. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be wrong. Um, I like to be right all the time. Um, I actually enjoy arguing and not always for the right reasons. But um, again, this is why I was encouraged to see God at work in my heart as I spoke to these two ladies. Um, but I did learn a couple of things that I would like to point out that I hope will be helpful um, to you when you find yourself in this situation. Um, when I had the conversation with these ladies, um, I got into this whole thing about the Trinity and I really I really lost my balance. Um, and what I mean by that is I wanted to convince them so bad that the conversation didn't really evolve. At times, it seemed more like a debate over the Trinity than an, than evangelism. Right now, I will say the Trinity and the divinity of Christ is extremely important don't get me wrong if i didn't believe that this podcast wouldn't even exist so yes this is a crucial point that we should get into right but we should always find a way to get to the heart of the matter and that is the heart of the person it's not always the case that people reject christ because of a lack of knowledge many times jehovah's witnesses for sure right people reject christ out of pride right trying to find salvation in their own works instead of the one who came down to give us life freely right ignoring the fact that god requires perfect righteousness in order for us to be forgiven and the only way we receive that is through christ right the other thing um i did point them to the gospel Right. But I didn't do a good enough job pleading for them to repent and to trust in the Jesus that I presented to them. Right. Yes. You, you have to know who it is that you're placing your trust in. Right. But we shouldn't just be passionate about that. We should be just as passionate in our desire to see them turn. Right. And to not just know the right things about Jesus, but to take hold of him and him alone to forsake all the filthy rags they attempt to bribe God with, right? <laughs> I learned that I need to be more balanced as I approach evangelism, right? To not only love the truth and to contend for the truth, but also in love to plead for their repentance and for them to trust in God, right? To contend for the truth and to contend for their heart as well. Um, so much more can be said about this, but I'll just leave it at that. Christ was proclaimed and in that I rejoice believers were emboldened so in that i rejoice right and ex jehovah's witness shared some thoughts on youtube um so in that i rejoice and i know god can open up the eyes of these ladies as he did mine and so i'm rejoicing in that fact um so those are just a few thoughts before unpacking my favorite proof text but before we do that um we're going to shift some gears and we're going to get into the next segment and that is not really during this segment, I dive into common misconceptions surrounding a biblical worldview. Now, this this could be about um, Christianity specifically. This could be about random things in the Bible, right? I might do a video or a meme review, respond to something going on in the news or, or just anything, right? And so with this segment, I'm really basing it on this idea in sales called a lead is a lead is a lead. And so this is called a source is a source is a source, right? Now, for those of you who haven't dealt with leads, a lead is information on a potential prospect, right? Now, from the perspective of a good salesman, the power isn't in the lead alone. 
The power is actually in the recognition that the lead is an opportunity. So it doesn't matter if the lead just has a name. It doesn't matter if the lead only has a number and nothing else, right? If the lead is just an address to someone that fits in a demographic that you deal with, you can even actually use the name of a mutual friend as your way in to create an opportunity to make a sale. So a lead is a lead, meaning if you're a good salesman, you don't have to discriminate based on the sufficiency of the lead itself. To a top tier salesman, all leads are created equal. It's just a way in to have a conversation that hopefully will lead to a sale. Now, this is not the case when it comes to sources. All sources are not created equal ever right it, it doesn't matter how good you can argue although you might be convincing to some right your associ your assertion will stand or fall in a realm of truth based on your source unlike the lead a source is the only or a, a source is only as sufficient as what it contains unfortunately many people use sources as if they're all created equal and i promise you they're not let me also point out the fact that there's a big difference between a source and a claim, right? And it's important to take notice because most of the arguments that people make are actually without a source. The problem with this is a claim without a source is like a roof without a frame to hold it up, right? A claim without a source is bound to collapse. It cannot support itself. The only problem is many times we don't allow the argument to fall apart because we take the bait right? We want to respond to everything that someone says. In other words, as Gregory Kokel would say, it is not our job to prove them wrong. It's their job to prove themselves right. And so what's the difference between a source and a claim? A claim is to state or to assert that something is the case, typically without providing evidence or proof or an assertion of the truth of something, typically one that is disputed or in doubt. Now that's a claim. Um, what is a source? A source can sometimes be a person, right? But usually a book or a document that is used to provide evidence. So let's simplify it even more. A claim is your conclusion, right? While the source is the evidence of or proof that got you there. So let me give you an example. This podcast, That Deity though, right? My claim is that Jesus is God. Now my source, the way I came to that conclusion is the Bible. And we'll examine both the claim and the source during the main topic of this episode. But first, I would like to identify the different types of sources and how we should look at them. Um, because again, all sources are not created equal. You have two main kinds of source material. One, you have primary sources. And two, you have secondary sources. And so what is a primary source? How does it differ from a secondary source? Well, primary sources are firsthand documents that provide evidence on your topic. The Library of Congress describes firsthand documents as this raw materials of history, original documents and objects which were created at the time under study. They are different from secondary sources. A primary source is created during the time of the events, right, that you are studying. When they occurred, that's when the primary source comes about, such as newspaper articles, right, from the time in question, correspondence, di diplomatic records, original sources, reports. It could be notes, books, etc., right? These sources, primary sources, hold the most weight for obvious reasons. Again, my claim is Jesus is God. 
And so what are the primary documents that inform us about the person and work of Jesus? It's the 66 books of the Bible, right? In it, you have eyewitness accounts. You have quotes attributed to Jesus from his closest followers, along with prophecies and fulfillment. You have real names of real people and real places that can actually be fact checked. Um, in fact, because of this, we have archaeological confirmation. We can also come to the conclusions about the source of scripture by the Holy Spirit leading us and illuminating our eyes and our hearts to the text. Right. And so in the case of Jesus, there's nothing more reliable than scripture, which is the primary or the most authoritative source in regard to Jesus. The point is the claims that we make, the conclusions we arrive at will stand or fall based on the reliability of its source, right? And the proximity and connection of time, location, and relationship, right, is the determining factor of how we classify and weigh the reliability of sources, right? Now, does this mean primary sources are the only reliable sources we ought to consider, right? No. Secondary sources can also be useful, but they cannot stand alone. These sources are to complement primary sources. So what is a secondary source? Um, secondary sources describe, they, they might discuss or interpret, they might comment upon or analyze, evaluate, they can summarize, right, and process primary sources. Secondary source materials can be articles in the newspaper or popular magazines. It can be book or movie reviews or articles found in scholarly journals that discuss or evaluate someone else's original research. Now, this is where we have to be careful, because in this realm of, of secondary sources, this is where you find your pseudo scholars, right? People who lead others actually away from the truth, right? The problem with many secondary sources is much of what you read or hear is an interpretation or an observation from someone else who didn't live in the area in question or during the time period of the event, which is why a secondary source must always be fact checked by the greater primary source right if no such source exists the claim or conclusion would be better described as an opinion instead of a fact so why am i saying all of this um, because the christian who must be prepared to give a defense for the hope they have should also learn how to evaluate counter arguments that are raised against the truth right we must question the claim for its source before we respond with our own argument right we must understand how someone got to their conclusions right for one it's respectful right it's a respectful thing for us to do to to learn how someone arrived where they arrived right to get some background information and also because it's not our job to prove them wrong remember they must prove themselves right so let the roof collapse right <laughs> let it fall to the ground and when the dust settles and the smoke clears don't laugh and make them feel bad right be there to help them pick up the pieces and then offer real hope share with them about the god who is merciful and mighty to save all kinds of people tell them about god who is a firm foundation and christ who is the cornerstone the rock that we must build upon that he is the scaffolding that we stand on that he is the nails and the tools that he is the frame and the roof this is the blueprint of truth right it is fixed and supports itself and all who find themselves on the inside by god's grace 
With that being said, I would like to recommend a book. Um, if you're a listener, you know apologetics is a key focus of this podcast. Um, I think the best apologists listen well and they know how to ask the right questions, which is why I have no doubt that this book will help you to do just that. The author is Gregory Kokel, and the title of the book is Tactics. Um, this book will help you to be less defensive and it will give you confidence in any conversation. Um, for those who are interested, I will provide a link in the show notes. Um, but before we move on, on uh, just in case I haven't convinced you um, I just want to take a moment to read the back cover of this book tactics teaches you how to maneuver comfortably and graciously as you share your faith with others learn how to navigate the minefields stop challengers in their tracks turn the tables and most importantly get people thinking about Jesus Coco shows you how to skillfully manage the details of the dialogue applying principles of sound reasoning and clear thinking Address specific types of attacks on the faith. Adopt an engaging, disarming style even when people raise objections. Tactics gives you the game plan for communicating the compelling truth about Christianity with both confidence and grace. All of this leads us to our main topic of episode three. He is Lord, so we reign. Open up the word, get with it. The eternal God, he is infinite. He put on some flesh and then lived in it. The hypostatic union, we get it. Christology, my apology, but no apology. Let's get with it. Well, then the prodigy, buddy, calm the seas. He quiet stones, yes, he did it. Uh, he's preeminent, taught fishermen to fish for men. Turn grimy dudes to different men. It's by his life we live for him. And through his life we get to him. Validated by lifting him. And he would do the same for everyone to whom he was sent. Blazing it, fanning the flame. It's no taming it, grabbing his word and aiming it I don't care if you bang with it Reppin' the blood, no gang with it Add to it and you're changing it Paul said it's anathema Even if an angel came with it Alright, so what I would like to do is I would like to dig into some passages that really open my eyes to the deity of Christ. Um, Primarily will be in uh, Psalm 102, um, but our main text will be in Hebrews chapter 1. You probably noticed today's episode has a lot to do with validation, right? From the cosign that I received from the Bar Network to the facts that we find as we examine solid sources and how they act to cosign what you say or believe. Uh, But before we get into the text that I want to look at today, let me start out by just asking you a question. What do you think will have more of an impact? LeBron James claiming to be the best basketball player of all time or Jordan going on national television to endorse LeBron as the GOAT? (laughs) I think it's pretty obvious, right, that that Jordan endorsing LeBron would have a greater impact, right? It will be more confirmation, right? Because a cosign goes a long way, especially when it comes from someone held in high esteem. Public validation may be even from someone who others view as greater than you are, right? And so the reason why I'm leading with this question is because what you will often hear is people say that Jesus never claimed to be God, right? As if claiming to be God makes someone God to begin with, right? And if Jesus claimed to be God in the way that most people would demand, I doubt that they would believe anyway. It would be another verse, right, that they would probably say was added or altered. It would be another reason for them to believe that the scriptures might have been corrupt or, you know, corrupted for some evil reason. But let me first say that Jesus does claim to be God many times and in many ways. But for now, I want to focus on what the Father says about Jesus. Now, why do I want to do that to start out with um, with this episode? We'll, we'll unpack other things later. But what happens is many people have a greater view or a greater level of reverence for the Father. To most, what the Father says trumps what the Son says. 
right now this isn't my view but i'm more than happy to share the deity of christ using their logic i've learned and i'm still learning right that we don't have to argue about everything or with everything that we disagree with and so if someone says jesus didn't say that he's god what i do now is i ask if the father affirmed jesus as god would you then believe right then after showing them what the father says i'll go on to the claims of christ himself now you don't have to do it this way this is just the way that i like to do it but this passage can be used or, or this connection can be used by anyone trying to open someone's eyes to the divinity of Christ through the lens of the Father. Um, so today we'll view Christ through the lens of the Father. And I hope you have your Bible open for those watching on YouTube or Facebook. I have the passages on the screen. We're going to begin at Psalm 102. Um, this is going to give us the context for this section of Hebrews chapter 1 that I want us to focus on for this episode. It's really the, the focal point but we're not going to get to that till a little bit later, right? And this is by far my favorite connection when I'm speaking to Jehovah's Witnesses because the point can actually be made even while utilizing their own translation. So this takes away the we don't use that translation objection, all right? So that's enough of an introduction. I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 102, but um, let me start out by saying that Psalm 102 is a prayer about life's trials, right? And casting your cares on God. Now, this is very important and you'll see why shortly. Okay, so let me go ahead and read. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because your indignation and anger for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass here in these opening verses, verses one through 11. Right. You have an introspective prayer, right? The prayer of one crying out in distress. The prayer of one desiring to be heard and in need of help, right? It, it's actually so bad for this individual that he feels like he's dying, right? He hasn't been eating well. This is really some deep depression. He actually says that he can't sleep and his drink is mingled or mixed with tears. And so this is clearly a cry for help. And then after we get past verse 11, what we actually see is a shift in focus, right? A focus from looking inward to looking outward he begins to make affirmations right now notice when we read these affirmations aren't being made about himself as he's looking into some mirror right but he finds comfort as he shifts his focus to god right and making declarations about god and his sovereignty all right so i do want to i want to pick back up now at, at verse uh 12 all right but you O lord are enthroned forever you are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayers of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. 
Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they might declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gathers to gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in midcourse. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. All right. Now, I want to make a few obvious points. Right. And the reason why is because this has a major impact as we consider our next passage of scripture. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to notice back at verse 12. Right. That this is a prayer to God. It says, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever right now i want to point out this this word lord here what is it saying in the hebrew as you can see this word lord in the hebrew is actually translated as the proper name of god which is yahweh so but you O yahweh are enthroned forever right this is not surprising because if you're praying to god right you're praying to the lord we know that god's name is yahweh but it's going to be important you'll see later why i'm pointing this out and so the lord here in verse 12 the lord here of psalm 102 is yahweh okay so i want to point that out now keep this in mind the verse goes on to say but you O lord are enthroned forever right this is repeated in verse 26 as we read about the earth passing away, right? But Yahweh will remain standing forever, right? Now, this is the same God from Psalm 9, verse 7. Let me read that. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. This is the same language, right? He has established his throne for justice and his his judges and, and he judges the world with righteousness he judges the peoples with uprightness the lord is a stronghold for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble right and those who know your name put their trust in you for you O lord have not forsaken those forsaken those who seek you right the psalmist was seeking the lord and he was in distress and he knew that god was an upright god of justice and he stood for the oppressed and those in trouble right also in verse 27 of psalm 102 you have a reference to the steadfastness of god right in the eternality of god okay and so um moving on uh, so so first this is a prayer to yahweh right and, and second this is the god of the psalmist right <laughs> again we can't miss these points because they actually inform us as we get to where we're going right and so what i want to do is read verse 24 again he says oh my god right oh my god he makes this very 
personal. So this is the God. This is the Yahweh, right? This is Yahweh, the God of the psalmist. And he recognizes that he's the one that has power over his estate, right? And not just that, that he's the one who has power and control over the moment when he would take his last breath, right? He says, take me not away in the midst of my days. So first, again, this is a prayer to Yahweh. Second, this is the God of the psalmist. And the last point I would like to highlight, I'm not even going to expound on it too much. I just want to read it. Okay. And that's going to be verses 25 and 26 of old. You laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. I'm going to go ahead and highlight that. So there we go. So now remember this as we keep going, right? Now keep all of this in mind. Keep this all in mind that this is a prayer to God whose name is Yahweh to that this is the God of the psalmist, right? And why is this important for me to point out? You'll find out soon, right? <laughs> and third, this is the one who laid the foundation of the world and his name is Yahweh. Okay. Now watch this. Let's go to Hebrews chapter one, right? Which speaks of the preeminence or the superiority of the son, right? There's so much here in this text uh, of Hebrews chapter one, and I plan on touching on it uh, uh, in future episodes. But first I would like to focus on just three verses in particular. And that's going to be verses 10 through 12. We're going to see why context is so important, right? And it's always good to read what, le what led up, excuse me, what led up to a particular passage. And what led up to this one isn't limited to the book of Hebrews. We'll see what led up to this one actually is in Psalm 102 as well. But what we're going to do is start at verse one and we're going to read up and we're going to just watch the build up until we get to the verses that I pointed out, which is verses 10 through 12. So long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, this isn't the point of today, today's uh, a topic. But I do want to point this out here. This is just going to be extra. The father says of his son, let all God's angels worship him. Now, this word worship right down here, as we can see, is to go down on your knees to do obeisance. Right now, what is this word? Obeisance. Obeisance is to pay homage or to give reverence to someone. Right. Or as Sway says, uh, what does he say? How does he say it? homage? Right. <laughs> so it's to pay homage in the form of worship down on your knees to the sun. Now that's just extra. We're going to keep on reading, but I just had to point that out. All right. Of the angels, he says in verse seven of the angels, he says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And here we go. Verse 10. And you, O Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you will remain they will all they will, will remain they will all wear out like a garment like a robe you will roll them up like a garment they will be changed but you are the same and your years have no end do you remember this verse let's go back psalm 102 verses 25 through 27 of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you will remain they will all wear out like a garment you will change them like a robe and they will pass away but you are the same in your years have no end the same exact thing that the father says of the son now remember the son Jesus while being tempted by Satan right he took a hold of the scripture to declare his allegiance to the father and the father's will right here in the book of Hebrews right here in the first chapter the father takes hold of scripture also right actually he takes hold of a passage out of the mouth of the psalmist right praying through suffering while confidently taking hold of God and his power and in his promises right the father actually then takes hold of this prayer in Psalm 102 and co-signs his son right not just as the one whose years have no end not just as the one who laid the foundation of the world, not just as the one who is the God of the psalmist, not just as the one who hears prayers, right, in response to the prayers of his people, but the father here in this passage found in Hebrews chapter one, he identifies the son as Yahweh. Yep, as Yahweh. Even an anchor from CNN couldn't twist this, right? <laughs> this leaves no room for debate. This is not a figure of speech or, or an example of the father being poetic. If this passage is corrupt, give me the manuscript evidence that shows what it used to say and when it was changed. What is your source, right? <laughs> the father makes the greatest claim in respect to the son, and that is the source, right? The source of all things, God. The father, right, identifies the son not as a God, lowercase g, not as one among many, right, not as a great prophet or a good moral teacher, but the father identifies the son as Yahweh. This is pretty remarkable, right? Now, some might get held up and they want to, they might ignore everything else, right? They'll say something like this. Well, you see, in the beginning of the chapter, it says that God created the world through him, right? And then they'll go on to deny the deity of Christ based on that, right? Now, to that, I would say yes, right? But it doesn't mean what you think it means. Because in Isaiah 44, 24, let me read what it says there. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord. Let's see what this Lord is translated as. This is Yahweh, right? So I am Yahweh who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by my 
self, right? So not only does this verse affirm the deity of Christ, right? And identify Christ as Yahweh, but it also affirms the doctrine of the Trinity because only the triune God can say he created the world by himself through his son, who is also Yahweh, or else it just wouldn't make sense outside of a Trinitarian view. But we'll continue that argument in another episode, hopefully in the future. Um, just a few closing remarks before we end today's episode. Um, it is my prayer that today you've learned something um, that hopefully helped you to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Um, it's my prayer that this will empower you to proclaim the truth concerning Jesus to a lost generation. That you came to know a little bit more of the glory and the majesty, a little more of the splendor of Christ who is God, right? When someone says Jesus never claimed to be God, don't trip. Say, I'll do you one better. Let me tell you what the father said about his son. And if the father knows that Jesus is Yahweh, you have no reason to remain in disbelief. Episode four will be the last response um, to the Jehovah's Witness conversation. Now that we touched on an argument that I made, um, in fairness, I would like to examine an argument that the ladies made against Jesus being Yahweh. And we'll see what happens then. Um, well, this concludes episode three, the main topic, cosine. Thank you for listening to that deity, though. Wisdom and knowledge revealed.